Welcome back to the podcast. This is Tim Maluli. Joined with me today is Tom. Tom, how you doing? I'm good. Good afternoon. So it is a beautiful day here in New Jersey. I think it's 80 degrees, something like that outside. We should be recording outside. It's a climate controlled 72 in here, however. It's perfect. Anyway, let's dive in. We've got a couple topics that we want to talk about today. First is a post on Morningstar from Christine Benz, who writes and creates a lot of really good personal finance content. Uh, we've talked about her plenty on the podcast before. Uh, this was a video. You can find the transcript underneath the video if you don't want to sit and watch the video. But the, Because the video is an hour long. Yes, it is, it is a long video. Uh, but she talked about five must-knows about in-retirement spending. These are topics that we talk about quite a bit with our clients who are on the verge of retiring, considering retirement. They're a year or two into retirement. Yeah, it's a, an important topic for people that are in the, that point of life because by that point, you know, even if you're a year or so away, like most of your savings work is done at that point. So you're kind of assessing where you're at and then the shift becomes spending and decumulating after decades and decades of accumulating assets. So before we dig into the main points of the article, do you want to chat for a minute about uh, a concept called income floor? We talk about it quite a bit. Sure. So when we're looking at where clients can get income in retirement, there are uh, usually a couple different options of income, whether it's Social Security, some people have uh, pension income, and then you know, you're filling in the gaps with either banked savings or pulling from your investment portfolios in some capacity. Or retirement plan. Right. Uh, when you're, you're talking about creating a floor, you know, this typically pertains more to people that, that have pensions as well as Social Security, but it does also, you know, have meaning for people who just have Social Security and might not have a pension because not, not everybody has a pension. But, you know, choosing pension options uh, if you're, you know, married that are uh, joint survivor, 100% benefits. So you're creating a stream of income over not just your life, but your partner's life as well. Pairing that with Social Security, which is going to last until you pass away, that's creating a floor of income in terms of, let's say your investment portfolio didn't exist. What, what was, what's the amount of money that you would have to live off of and how does that feel in comparison to what you spend each month or each year? So you, you put the Social Security number together with the pension number that you have, uh, and it, it tends to create a floor for people in terms of how much income they're going to have in retirement. And mentally, it's a, it's a good way of giving yourself peace of mind, knowing that regardless of what the stock market is doing, you have these sources of income that are coming in. Regardless of any other situations out there, that money is going to be hitting the bank on a monthly basis. This all goes back to the concept of knowing your numbers, knowing what your expenses look like on a monthly basis. Because if you say, hey, I know that two-thirds of my fixed expenses are going to be covered by income that I'm getting from Social Security or some small pension or 
a retirement plan, some other source, what do I need to get to get me to cover 100% of my fixed expenses? Mm -hmm. Then the additional money that I've got socked away, we can do things, we can travel, we could enjoy it. And in the worst case scenario, how can I make my expenses look or, or get them to fit into that floor? Like if I had, if you absolutely had to, how could you maneuver your expenses to make those numbers work just with the floor if nothing else was available to you? And that kind of segues nicely with this article that we want to talk about from Morningstar where um, Christine talks about uh, five things that you need to know about spending while you're retired. Yeah, the first thing, the first point that she hits on is paying attention to starting conditions. That means taking into account what the current climate is in terms of the market and economic conditions and inflation and other things like that 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 are factoring into how much you're going to need to be spending and at what point. All of these points kind of piggyback off one another, so they they kind of blend together in that sense. Paying attention to to where you're starting, what the game plan is going into that, into retirement in general, uh, and and kind of assessing, you know, maybe the, the timing of when you're going to retire, not necessarily, you know, waiting for if we're in a in a recession or a downturn or an upturn, you know, not necessarily timing it with that, but kind of just paying attention to, you know, where we are in, in an economic cycle. That timing, I, I'm just thinking of a good example of when timing was really opportune. In the early 80s, uh, we had inflation that reached a, an annual peak of 13. 8%. At the same time, people were getting real rates of return of 3, 4, sometimes even 5% uh, on short-term investments like bank CDs, where people were getting, every once in a while you'll hear someone say, I remember getting 17 or 18 or 19% at the bank. It really did happen for a very short period of time. Jimmy Carter was on the way out. Ronald Reagan was on his way in. What happened over the next few years, very important, as inflation started to come down, honestly, pretty similar to what's happening right now, the way inflation was still coming down, the banks kind of held their rates where they were a little longer than they should have. And so for maybe... The only time I've seen in 40 years, people made money, real money, by staying at the bank or staying in, you know, 100% in bonds. Even though they got slaughtered in bonds for three years before that, this is when they actually made money. There's not too many times where you're going to get, uh, you're going to be able to capture a positive return on an investment like a CD. All of that, like you said, it's it's temporary because those things ebb and flow over time. Delaying retirement until you get a perfect situation like that, that for a lot of people, that's not the case. You know, you might be forced into retirement based on circumstances outside of the economy. So, you know, you're, you might have to retire when things don't look great. And it's important to take that into account, but it's also not, you know, over the span of a 30-year retirement, it's small blip in in the grand scheme of things. Good analogy. Yeah. So if you're a golfer 
and you retire, and the first eight days of your retirement, it rains, you can't play golf. Right. Is it going to be that way your entire retirement? No. Of course not. Yeah. It's not going to be forever. It's important to take note of these things, though. You, you want to be cognizant of what is going on and make sure that your plan can withstand something like that. So if you were going into retirement, you didn't have a plan, you weren't aware of how your money's allocated, where your money's coming from to spend in retirement. If you hit a period in the market where things turn south, yeah, you might get real uneasy and want to, you know, make some drastic changes. And that, I think that is, is in line with what Christine is saying, to just be aware of the surroundings, but also keep things in the context of your overall plan. So when we're looking at 2023, we're, we're coming off a year where the market was down, bond investments were down. People tend to extrapolate what happened last year out into the future, saying it's going to rain for the rest of my retirement mm-hmm. and I can't ever play golf again. But actually, the valuations now are pretty juicy. And, you know, we've seen things come back because they always do. Not fully all the way back to where we were, but... You know, this year's been off to a good start so far, and, and that kind of leads into Christine's next point about maintaining a balanced portfolio. That also kind of speaks to what I was just talking about, having the balanced portfolio of the proper allocation of stocks and bonds, money in the market versus money out of the market. If you're going to be spending this money, we tell people this all the time. So I apologize if we sound like a broken record, but you know, if money in retirement that you're going to be spending over the next 6, 12, 18, 24 months, you know, whatever you're comfortable with, that that should not be in the market at all. So the timing of market downturns or market conditions typically won't really impact that money. So you can withstand what's going on in the market uh, and let things come back because they always do. So Christine talks about the bucket approach, which is also the approach that we use here Uh, Do you just kind of want to give a back-of-the-envelope explanation for what this bucket approach means? And you kind of uh, alluded to that just a moment ago. The buckets is really just a way to visualize your allocation between cash, money in short-term fixed income, intermediate-term bonds, fixed income, and then money in the market for the long-term in stocks. Over time, you're going to be spending down the cash bucket And then you refill that bucket with money from short intermediate term bond positions. And then that bucket gets refilled with money from the market. Meanwhile, you're letting the money that's in the stock side of the account continue to grow. uh, So it replenishes itself over time. You know, we we don't necessarily know what the market's going to give us in the short term. But we know that if we give that stock side of the account the time it needs to grow and you know, get that level of growth you need for your plan to work over a 20, 30 year retirement, we're going to be able to continue to replenish that cash and bond bucket as you deplete it uh, as you're spending throughout your retirement, because that's what it's there for. So Tim, five years ago, the average price on a used car was $19,000. Today, that number is closer to $28,000 in just Five years, mm-hmm. this is now up 50% for a used car, right? not even a new one. What does that speak to when we're talking about inflation and trying to project what things are going to look like in the future? The 
specific level of inflation over the long term is going to be nearly impossible to predict over the short term here. Obviously, we've seen record high inflation. You know, it's been coming down since last year, uh, but, you know, it's still relatively high. Uh, The only thing we know pretty much for certain is that things are going to cost more in the future. We don't know how much, but that kind of brings us to Christine's third point, which is to protect against inflation. I know that retirees have to do that. I know that when we're working on projections for clients, we always bake into the numbers a certain amount of inflation Mm -hmm. uh, as we're trying to look at what things will cost. Because we know that you've probably seen this example where color TVs and computers and technology, the prices of those things have collapsed. Those things have gone way down and you get way more than you did five years ago, 10 years ago. But other things like food and gas and rent, mortgage prices, those things have all gone higher. Yeah. And that again, points back to that allocation of resources that you have in your portfolio, regardless of your nervousness or feelings about the market. Most people don't have the luxury of retiring and pulling all of their money out of the market and holding it in cash uh, for the for the duration of their retirement. So in some capacity, whether that's even just 30%, 40%, 50% of your money in the market, you need that there to grow over 20, 20, 25, 30 years. Because uh, otherwise, your money isn't going to buy what it could today in 20 years. So it's a, a hot topic now. People are starting to see um, returns on cash and short-term investments of 4%, and in some cases, even 5%. Um, what are they missing? Because they're saying, hey, I don't even have to be in the stock market and I can make four or four and a half or five percent. Those percentages are accurate. They're not missing anything, but I think the point is real return versus a nominal return. So yeah, you're getting four, five percent in your high yield savings account or online savings account. Uh, But you know, when inflation is, you just got the CPI reading today for March of 23, it was at five percent over the last year. So yeah, it kind of you're, you're breaking even at that point. So you're essentially earning nothing if inflation is 5% and you're earning 5%. Uh, something to keep in mind. I feel like people may sometimes wonder why when you're using planning projections, why you just, you assume a certain rate of return. It's like, well, or a rate of inflation, how did you get there? And something that we learned when you were do, taking the CFP exam, they ask you, well, which which rate of inflation are you are you going to use when projecting things out into the future? Uh, the current inflation rate today, the inflation rate over the last 12 months, or the historical rate of inflation, you know, over the long longest period of time that you have uh, at your disposal? And the correct answer is just using the historical average because using 5% inflation today, next month that, that number is going to be potentially lower, it could be higher. And I mean, we're not going to use numbers from the last 12 months because that's the highest it's been in 40 years. So projecting that out into the future is doesn't make much sense either. 
So I think using a 2 or 3% rate of inflation at this point right now might seem low to people. Historically, that's probably the, the, the better number when you're making these planning projections. So I think it's important to keep that in mind because, uh, like you said, people think what's happening now is going to last forever, and it's not the case. Same thing with inflation. So let's talk about lifestyle considerations when someone is retiring. I think a lot of people get hung up on the idea that your retirement is an event. It's not really an event, is it? No, it's almost the opposite. I mean, it's your your retirement is your retirement date is an event, but your retirement in a sense is just the rest of your life. Yeah, it's not a one-time event. That's your day-to-day life and until you are no longer with us. So that is your retirement. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think lifestyle considerations is probably one of the more important things to discuss with people. You know, you can get specific with the nuts and bolts of the numbers of how they're spending their money now. And a good exercise is to just project those those current needs into the future. But, you know, people may not want to live the life that they currently are in retirement. Uh, they might want to spend more money or they might want to travel more or they might want to do something completely different. So I think considering how their life might change in retirement and how that would impact their spending habits is super important. And it's okay, you know, before you retire to say, uh, we don't have any plans. Yeah. Uh, and something may come up where you buy a house on a lake somewhere. Yeah. Or you may say, you know what, we're... We're going to build even stronger roots in our community and really get involved in some of the things we just didn't have time for when we were working. Yeah. I think points four and five, uh, we could almost kind of meld them together because uh, in Christine's post, her fifth point was to basically remain flexible Yeah. uh, when it comes to these sort of things. I kind of tied together two old sayings by using the phrase Semper Gumby, which is always remain flexible, right? Gumby. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I think, the probably the most important thing to remember in, in the sense that, you know, we're trying to figure out what you can, <clears throat> what you can comfortably afford in retirement. But you know, if you retire at, say, 67, your spending at 69, 70, 71 is probably going to be drastically different than 79, 80, 81. Would you agree? Yeah, I think there's a real possibility that you end up spending a lot more money early in retirement than you do later in retirement. But at the same time, you could end up spending the exact same amount of money every single year of your life until... You have no more years left. And that's the thing that we always talk about, how, how it's uh, planning the verb, not the plan, uh, the noun. Because we're constantly reassessing expense numbers and what people want to do and how their retirement is going uh, throughout the process because it's not an event, it's, it's a process. Remaining flexible and open to the idea that it's okay to change what you're doing in retirement if it's not what you want to do. I mean, you worked your whole life to get to this point for retirement. So if you're not having fun, if you're not enjoying how things are going, then let's make a change. See see what works. 
I think it's also important to remember, and this is something that uh, Christina mentioned towards the end of her post, was the balance you start with may not be the balance you finish with, in the sense that we've met a lot of folks who say, I'm just going to pick a number out of thin air. Mm -hmm. Okay, I've got $2 million uh, in retirement. I want to take money out each year, but I want to keep that balance around $2 million. There's no rule that says that has to be so. Yeah, that there there are sometimes some stipulations that people just make up in their in their head that may or may not make sense or fit into a realistic plan. So letting go of some of those ideas might free you up a little bit in terms of uh, how you want to spend your money or you know some people want to leave money to future generations. Other people don't have future generations to leave money to, so they want to spend it all while they're alive. You can't take it with you. So there's different different strokes for different folks uh, when it comes to spending in retirement. But that was a pretty good post from Christine. Uh, one more point in terms of things not lasting forever. I saw today that the uh, return on I-bonds is going to be less than 4% in May when they reassess do you remember how hot to trot every single person was to put money into I-bonds last year when they were at 9% and now six months later they're back in the threes? Yeah. And it's a, and it's a shame because you have to put that money yeah. into I-bonds. You can't yank, push it in and yank it out. I'm pretty sure you have to leave it in for at least a year. Don't quote me on that, but there, there is a time constraint in terms of how much, how long the money needs to be in those I-bonds. So that, that 9% juicy return that people were looking for, uh, oh, it lasted only about six months. So. I could have gotten 5% at the bank. Yeah. Things are fleeting, I suppose. But <laughs> that's going to wrap up this episode of the Maluli Asset Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.